Well, good morning, everybody. As the kids make their way out to O-Kids, if you have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever it is that you use, uh, turn to Luke 17. That's where we'll be looking this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll have it projected on the screen behind me. And if you are uh, able-bodied and willing, I would ask now that you would stand for the reading of our scripture today. This is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> so when uh, my wife Brandy and I were married, we were fortunate enough to have several wedding showers, which means that we received lots of gifts. And that was great, but it meant that we had lots of thank you cards that we had to send out. And so we had this huge stack of thank you cards with names on them, but I had this big conviction that I didn't wanna just write these boring like, dear blank, thank you for the blank, it looks great in the blank, love Mark and Brandy. I wanted it to be heartfelt and personal. And so we started doing them in small batches and it took a long time to write heartfelt and personal messages to everyone. And uh, I think we sent the first batch and then we were like, uh, let's just stack them up and we'll save them till they're all done. And months went by, and months went by, and that stack of thank you cards was this source of embarrassment and shame for Brandy and me. And one day, without telling her, I was just wrestling in my mind like, I don't know which is more embarrassing, to not send a thank you card or to send one when we're not even newlyweds anymore. And I chucked that whole stack into the recycling bin. So probably about 15 people got a thank you from us. Um, so now, whenever we uh, send a present to a newly married couple, Brandy always writes in the card, you don't have to send us a thank you. We, we know that you're thankful. Um, so there are all sorts of reasons that we don't thank people, right? And uh, as we look at this passage today, the story of 10 lepers, only one returns. I'm sure if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story before. And there's, I think, multiple applications. And the one that we most readily come to is Jesus wants us to be thankful. And I think that's right. And that's good. But the thing that I've pondered as I've been studying this is what is it about the other nine that kept them from coming back to say thank you to Jesus? And what are the ways that I do that? So I hope you'll ask that question too. 
And I hope that God will speak to your hearts as we go through this passage. We're going to go straight through verse by verse. So let's jump in at verse 11. Verse 11 says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And the he here, of course, is Jesus. And it's ambiguous where precisely Jesus is, but I want to show you a map so that you can sort of visualize it. And for those of you who are in the room, I'm going to use a laser pointer that is shaped like a mouse that is used predominantly to tease my cat and entertain my two-year-old. So up here, we know in general that Jesus spent most of his time in the north in Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee there up in the north. And he, his home base was Capernaum up here in the northwest. We know that he went to the Passover in Jerusalem, and that's where he was crucified. So we've got the north and the south, and then Samaria is here in the middle. And it says that he's somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, so he's probably on the north up here somewhere. And we'll talk about why that's perhaps significant in just a little bit, but that gives you an idea. So verse 12 says, and as he entered a village, and again, we don't know which village, we just know the general area. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And lepers, just to clarify, are people with leprosy. And when the term leprosy is used in the Bible, it refers to a variety of skin diseases, but it's most often talking about what we still today would think of as leprosy, which is also called Hansen's disease. And uh, so first, I want to ask by show of hands here in the room, how many of you have met a leper? Okay, I see three hands. One of them's my wife. Um, so the fact is that it's very rare to meet a leper because it's so uncommon today. Um, because of advances in nutrition and medicine and sanitation, it's very unlikely that anyone would get leprosy unless, uh, unless they're impoverished. But even so, even though only three of you have met a leper, it still carries a stigma, right? Um, I'm honored to say that Brandy and I have met lepers because for a few summers, Brandy and I took a group of high school students from First Pres to the Dominican Republic to serve at an amazing ministry there in a small village uh, at a place called Mission Emmanuel. And they always took us to a leprosarium during our time there. It's the only leprosarium in the Western Hemisphere. And it's sort of like an assisted living home for people with leprosy, but you gotta remember, it's the Dominican Republic, and this is a charity. It's run by Christians, so it's no frills. It's not a place that anyone wants to be. Most of the people who live at the leprosarium were dropped off by their families, and many of them never see their families again because they're seen as outcasts, they're shunned. When the lepers get there, they undergo three rounds of treatment so that they no longer carry the disease. But even though they're no longer contagious, they bear the marks of leprosy. And this is what I mean. Leprosy causes skin lesions, and the biggest thing is it causes nerve damage. So because it damages the nerves, people often lose a 
appendages because they simply can't feel pain. And so they have repeated injuries and repeated infections. People often go blind because they lose the sensation to blink. Some of the people that we met in the leprosarium were bedridden or in wheelchairs. And I've got a picture here of Brandy and one of the lepers that we got to spend time with. And I have to tell you, it sounds um, horrible and degrading to me to call this sweet lady a leper because she has so much dignity. This lady who was shunned by her family and dropped off here just longs to be touched and she loves hugs. And she gives the kind of hugs where when she squeezes you, she kind of puts her head down on your shoulder. And I have pictures of like every student on the trip hugging this lady. Um, but I want you to picture her because when you imagine the 10 lepers, imagine 10 men and in the Greek, it actually does say that they were men. But I want you to picture 10 men who were perhaps missing fingers or a nose and maybe they were hard to look at. In Leviticus 13, the law commands that a leprous person has to wear torn clothes and have long hair, and they have to stand at a distance and shout, unclean, to, to clearly separate them from the other people. And it goes on to say that they have to live alone and they have to live outside of the camp. In other words, they weren't allowed to be around the clean people. And because they're not allowed to be around their community, they can't find work. So most of them beg for food. And on top of all of that, it was generally believed by Jews that leprosy was some sort of divine punishment. There was something that they have done to bring this on themselves. So lepers, put simply, were social outcasts who lived lonely, shameful lives. These 10 lepers stood outside the gate like they were supposed to and called to Jesus from a distance like they were supposed to. And verse 13 tells us, they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And every other time this word master appears in Luke, it's Jesus' disciples calling Jesus master. We don't know what the lepers believed about Jesus, but they definitely recognized his authority. They at least recognized his power to heal. And so they asked for mercy. In verse 14, here's what Jesus said. Go and show yourselves to the priests. That's it. That's all he said. And they went. And Luke tells us as they went, they were cleansed. And the fact that they left and went to the priest is huge. And I'm going to tell you why. The only way for lepers to be accepted back into their community is if they were healed and a priest declared them clean. Leviticus 14 is 32 verses of detailed instructions for what to do when a leper is cleansed. The priest has to go to them and examine them and do these rituals and pronounce them clean. And then the leper had to shave and there's sacrifices and there's amounts of time that different rituals have to be done. But my guess is probably the priest didn't have to go to Leviticus 14 very often. But by the lepers leaving Jesus to go present themselves to the priest, it means one significant thing. They were unclean 
And yet, they somehow believed that Jesus could heal them by the time they got to the priest. In other words, they had to act as if they were clean. They had to walk by faith and not by sight. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna have to do the same thing. Because it doesn't take very long for you to follow Jesus before you realize you still sin. You still say dumb things to the people that you love the most and put your foot in your mouth. You're still grouchy. You still do things that you know aren't the best thing to do. And sometimes you really blow it big. And in those moments, even though you're washed in the blood of Jesus, there's nothing that you can see in yourself that would lead you to think, I'm clean. I'm holy. And so you have a choice and we all have a choice. We have this choice every day. Will you believe what seems to be true? That you're messed up and broken, that you're a failure? Or will you believe what Jesus says is true? Jesus says, because of me, you are clean. You are holy and you are loved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, God made Jesus Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so that we can become righteousness. The call to follow Jesus is always a call to act on what Jesus says is true, not what appears to be true. And so one question I'd have for you this morning is, what's your leprosy? What's the thing that makes you believe a lie about yourself? What's the thing that makes you feel unclean? And will you live out of that identity? Or will you act out of what Jesus says is true of you? The lepers chose to act as if they were clean, as if they were healed, moving toward the priest, even when there was no evidence that they would be. And so they were made clean. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Let me tell you what I imagine happened. I imagine this leopard had deformities, skin lesions. He might have been missing a nose, maybe missing fingers. And those things, remember, they're not the leprosy. They're the corruptive results of the leprosy. So how would he, as verse 15 says, see that he was healed unless Jesus didn't just cleanse him from leprosy, but he also cleansed him from the corruption of leprosy, restoring his nerves, restoring his skin, restoring his fingers, restoring his appearance. We can't know this for sure, but I believe this is what happened because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is for us. 
Jesus doesn't just put damages, I mean bandages on our wounds, but he heals our wounds. He doesn't just tolerate our sin. He doesn't even just forgive our sin. He makes us righteous. He makes us new. What would our lives be like if we really got this, if we really believed this? That if you put your faith in Jesus, you're holy, you are clean, and you are loved by the one who created you and knows the depths of your heart. What would it be like? I imagine we would probably be much more like this Samaritan leper, praising God with a loud voice, falling on our face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. But for Presbyterians, falling on our face, loud voices, it's not really how Presbyterians roll, is it? But it seems that it's the appropriate response when you've been cleansed by Jesus Christ. So then, why aren't the other nine doing this? In verses 17 and 18, it says, Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? In verse 16, Luke dropped the bomb that this one leper who returned to say thank you is a Samaritan. And it can't bear the weight for us that it did for the people in Jesus' audience and for the people in Luke's audience who were reading this gospel back then. Uh, let's look at the map again, because I want to point something out. So Jesus calls him a foreigner. Now I want you to notice, a little refresher, they're up here, here's Galilee, here's Judea, where Jerusalem is, and you'll notice Samaria isn't a foreign land. In fact, it's right smack dab in the middle of Israel. So you have to wonder why do they see them as foreigners? And I, I, the best analogy I can come up with this, Florida is about as far south as you can get in the United States if you look on a map, but culturally, it's not really the south, is it? It's not really the south. So. In the same way, Samaria was not really Israel. You may remember a few weeks ago, Tyler preached on the Samaritan woman at the well, and he told us that Jews and Samaritans were enemies. And this is because at some point, the Samaritans had intermingled with Assyrians and become sort of their own people group that was half Jew, half Gentile. And on top of that, the Samaritans also had their own religious system, and they even had their own version of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. So Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics. They saw them as unclean. And I imagine it was probably scandalous that Jesus would even tell a Samaritan to go to a Jewish, Jewish priest. But I think when Jesus called the Samaritan a foreigner, he was probably saying it almost sarcastically, like with air quotes, like foreigner. Because just a few chapters earlier in Luke 10, Jesus had told the famous parable that you probably know where a Levite and a priest, both Jews, rock stars of the Jewish 
community passed by a man who had been robbed and badly injured and didn't help him. But who's the star of the story? The Samaritan proves to be the good neighbor because he's the one who, quote, shows him mercy, the very thing that the lepers asked Jesus for. He showed mercy. So we know this parable is the good Samaritan, but Jews would not have liked this parable and they really would not have liked the title that we've given it. But in Jesus' ministry, there are always layers of meaning to all that he said and did. And the healing miracles weren't just about a display of power so that he could wow audiences. It was Jesus' way of showing this is what the kingdom of God is like. So by including lepers in this story, and on top of that, a Samaritan leper, Jesus was saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. No more uncleanliness, no more sickness, no more disease, and no more outcast because all are welcome. So what about Jesus' question in verse 17? We're not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? The biggest question I've had as I've studied this is what sorts of things keep us from praising God with a loud voice, falling on our faces at Jesus' feet and thanking him? And this is all speculation, but I want to give you nine possibilities that the nine lepers might have used as excuses to not return and thank Jesus. So the first leper was too busy. I mean, he had to go to the priest and he had to get his rituals done and he'd need to shave and he'd need to go buy a bird. And there were lots of things to do that were important, more important than just going and giving a nice sentiment to Jesus. And anyway, by the time he got back to him, Jesus might not even be there and he didn't have any time to waste. The second leper was too ashamed because he had been a leper for a, grown time, a long time and he had grown bitter. And he had done a lot of things that he was ashamed of. He used to beg and then he started to steal and lately he had been mugging. And he thought to himself, I can't go face Jesus again. If he knew who I was, he wouldn't have even healed me. The third leper was scared of association with Jesus. He was glad to be healed don't get me wrong, but Jesus was a controversial figure and his followers were starting to catch heat. And this guy just wanted to get back into the community and be able to go to the synagogue. He didn't really want to be associated with the Jesus freaks. The fourth leper just waited too long. It was like me and my thank you cards. He meant to go back, but first he had to go to the priest. And after that, it was lunchtime. And he wanted to go have lunch with his parents because he finally could. And then he had to drop by his old work and see if they were still hiring. And the longer he waited, the more awkward it got. So he just didn't go. The fifth leper thought he deserved it because he was different from those other lepers. He had been training to be a rabbi. He prayed five times a day. He fasted once a week. He had memorized most of the Torah if anybody deserved it, it was him. He figured God is finally acknowledging all the things that I'm doing. The sixth leper was skeptical because he'd heard the story of Elijah healing Naaman's leprosy back in the Old Testament, but that was hundreds of years ago. And he's not sure that God still works that way. 
And besides, there's lots of con men. He needed to make sure this thing was going to last. And if he went back to thank Jesus, he was probably just going to ask him for money or something. And he didn't want to get caught up in all that. The seventh leper was cynical. He couldn't stop and be thankful because he was already fixating on his other problems. He was like, man, uh, are my wife and kids going to take me back in? And if they do, how am I going to provide for them? Because I lost my job. I, man, it's almost like getting healed just brings as many problems as having leprosy. If I'm honest, this is probably where I find myself. I tend to focus on all the things that are wrong rather than all the things that are good. But I'll tell you one thing that's made a lot of difference. I use this prayer app called Echo, and you can enter prayer requests into it, and it kind of helps you organize them and organize the way you pray. And whenever the word baby comes up, I thank God for my nine-month-old son named Jude, and I pray for him. But two years ago, when it would come up, I would thank God for my baby, Lucy, and I would pray for her. But four years ago, when the word baby came up, I would get a knot in my stomach, and I would feel despondent because we had tried for years to have children, and I had just about given up. So all I could get out when I read the word baby was a prayer for help that I wasn't sure if it was going to come true or not. So when I see the word baby pop up on my screen, it reminds me of God's goodness. It reminds me to be thankful. There are so many things we can point to right in our midst and be in a bad mood, but I encourage you, whatever it takes, put things in your life that remind you how blessed you are. The eighth leper didn't want to be a kiss up. He had seen the crowds of people following Jesus and some of them just looked pathetic like, oh, oh, Jesus, come over here, like a bunch of teenage girls. And he didn't want to be like that pathetic Samaritan. I mean, he liked Jesus, but he wanted Jesus to notice like how special he was and come talk to him, not go groveling at his feet. The ninth leper was sucked into a diffusion of responsibility which basically just means he assumed someone else would go thank Jesus and Jesus would understand that this was from all of us. But the 10th leper, the Samaritan, he turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And when he did this, look in verse 19 at what Jesus' response was. Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And this is a perplexing response to me because, well, they, they all went to the priest, right? They were all cleansed. They all at least had faith that Jesus could do something. So what's different about this? I was stuck on this until I... Uh, started looking at the Greek, not because I'm a whiz at Greek, but because I know how to use Google like a champ. Um, so if you look in your Bible, you probably see a footnote, and the footnote will give an alternate translation that isn't your faith has made you well, it's your faith has saved you, which is 
quite a different thing from being made well. Your faith has saved you. In Greek, the literal translation is rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. In Luke 7, the famous story that you've all heard about the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with oil. At the end of the transaction, Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it's the exact same phrase. Your faith has saved you. So the quality of the Samaritan's faith and the quality of his healing was different somehow from the other lepers. Your faith has saved you. Not your pedigree, not your law keeping, not your knowledge, not your track record. Faith in Jesus Christ has saved you. Even after the leper was healed, his body grew old again and he died. But Jesus saved him from something far greater than just poverty and social ostracism. I think most often we don't thank Jesus because we don't realize what it is that we have and we don't realize how much it costs. I want to close by telling you a story about one of the lepers from the Dominican Republic. Her name is Julia. She was my favorite and Brandy's favorite and I imagine she was probably everyone's favorite. She had no hands and she had no feet. Her face was sunken in. She was so frail that when you put your hand on her back, you can just feel her bones and her clothes just kind of hang on her. Uh, We've got a picture of one of our students, uh, Kara, and I got permission to show this. One of our students, Kara and Julia, And you can see she doesn't have hands. She just kind of has nubs. Uh, She's Dominican, so she only speaks Spanish. And I have tried, but I don't speak Spanish. And so we couldn't communicate with one another. But it didn't really matter because when we came in the room, she lit up. I mean, it's me and and a bunch of like high school girls, like like honestly, like rich Orlando high school girls. And almost all of us started weeping as we're standing in the room with Julia. And we started singing like that summer, like the song that we all loved, that we wanted to sing at like church camp and retreats and things. We sang it. So we started to sing with Julia. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and feel the atmosphere. And he did. He came and he filled the atmosphere. And even though Julia had no idea what we were saying, she knew we were praising her Lord and our Lord. And when we were done singing, she was just chattering. And none of us knew what she was saying. Um, But there was someone on the team with us there who could speak Spanish and he leaned down in front of her so he could hear what she was saying. And we've, we've got a photo of that. And I just want you to look at the picture on, on Julia's face. You see joy, like every other person in that room was weeping, but Julia is full of joy. And what she was saying is praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then she started 
to touch things in her room. She said, I'm so thankful for this bed. I'm so thankful for this table. I'm so thankful for this window. And guys, I want to tell you, her room was horrible. You wouldn't think of spending the night there. It was a dirty old cot. It was a table that you wouldn't even give to Goodwill. She started to tell stories about how when she was a little girl, she would run and play with her mom and dad. And she said someday she was going to go to be with Jesus and she would run with her mom and dad again. Julia's body was broken, but she knew that she had been made clean and she couldn't help talking about it. She couldn't help but thank Jesus because when you're made when you're made clean, you thank Jesus. This morning, before we come to the table for the Lord's Supper, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing the song that we sang with Julia. And I pray that God would impress on each of our hearts the weight and the value of what we've been given in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hear me, brothers and sisters, followers in Christ, whatever it is that hinders you from falling on your face and thanking Jesus, set that aside. If I have any friends who are listening, who are standing across the road from Jesus yelling, unclean, know that he's pursuing you and he's waiting. And if you only come to him, he says, be clean. Let's stand and sing together.